You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, the podcast by writers with day jobs. Hello, everyone. I'm Kelly Daniels. And I'm Ken Lipman. Not Kelly Daniels. How are you, Kelly? Pretty good. And Just like I was, like, you know, a couple minutes ago. We spent the last uh, couple hours together. You still look good. You look fresh as a daisy. Yeah. This is Personal Rejection Letter, episode number, who knows? We're out of order, but uh, we hope you're enjoying it. The last <laughs> episode that we just recorded, Kelly hosted, and he was super prepared. And we had just had a conversation, I hope you don't mind me telling this, Kelly, where he said that uh, he felt that the less prepared we were, the better. So I didn't prepare. And then he came and prepared. Yeah, I was tricking you. Yeah, that was hurtful. I'd like to start with a question. <laughs> what do you do? Like me, Kelly, you probably were influenced by many writers when you were a young man. What do you do when you hear their voices in your head when you want to be hearing your own voice? Don't answer. Before we get to that, oh, I want to answer so bad. You're going to let me answer before you say anything, though, right? I know. Like beyond just going back. I'm just going to wrap it up and say thanks for listening, and we'll see you (laughs) next time. Okay. Um, You are going to answer that in detail, but first of all, what do you want to revise from the last time that we talked to each other? Well, the last time we talked to each other was, it's hard to say, I'm pretty sure the last podcast that our listeners will have listened to Mm was not the last time I talked. So I'm actually kind of thinking it out. Um, I think it was the robot app. Yes, it was the robot episode. And I believe I ended by talking about an essay that I really liked called Fruitland. The band who uh, gets rediscovered. But I didn't know the name of the author. Okay. The author's name is Stephen Karatz. Can you spell that? K-U-R... U-T-Z. Okay. Karutz. Why did I say Karatz? Because I, I don't have my glasses on. My U's look like A's, though. But you are holding them, for the record. That's true. You could put them on. <laughs> you know what the real problem of yeah. this whole podcast is? The, the whole world? Yeah. The headphones. I can't get my glasses <laughs> on. The You yeah. know, it's just that hitting that age. Hey, do you, do you, you like the... Um, this is what it looks like. Yes, it looks funny. You like the uh, Stuff You Should Know podcast, right? I do. Some of them. Yep. Uh, one of the recent ones, it was like a really... Kind of a sweet moment. One of the guys, the more the straight man out of the two, yeah, right. if you can think of it that way. Right. Um, the more serious. For the first time, he had to wear his reading glasses and brought him to the studio. Uh-huh. And his partner, who isn't obviously hasn't hit that milestone yet, yeah, was end. completely making fun of him. And and I remember just it was pretty recently that we both were pretty much we're exactly yeah. the same age. You're older mm-hmm. by a couple months. A couple months older. A um, couple months wiser, I suppose. For sure. And we both had to do the readers at the same time. And we both, uh, so, yeah. We were going chagrined. On. So I can't read any of the notes that I write. So your whole idea about preparation, that might be in your favor. Like, why prepare if you can't read yeah. the notes? So anyway. Eh. And oh, I, Wait, 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 stop. Are we talking about regrets yet? This is the revision. Wait, part. listen. Well, I can Remember? tell by that sound, we're crumbling up our... And that's the notes, too, that you wrote, yeah. so we are done. Yeah. <laughs> we're off book you now. Can, since we're out of order in the recording of these, we've decided that that's going to be our sound cue, that we're doing that feature, the crumbling. And since we don't have a sound engineer that's here, um, yeah. we'll just, we're doing it the old-fashioned way. We have to actually do it by hand each time. Each time is going to be a handcrafted crumble for your Think about all the trees that are being wasted. When they could wasted. be just doing what are you a, talking about? Well... You, it should just be a digital sound that you find somewhere online and then pay a stock sound company 
money so that you could get a crumpling paper sound. Maybe. What finer use hath a tree than for a sound effect on cast? By the way, I don't want to jinx it, but I think so far this is our best one ever. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you hung in with this one. My revision is that on the Robots episode, you probably noticed that I was making it. In fact, you scolded me at some point in the episode for making a, a loud banging noise. It was more like a... <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, it was an electronic crackle or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think it was me like hitting, it was, I was, I had earbuds in and I was kind of messing with the wire. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And so I do want to apologize to the listener because I, at the time that you were scolding me, I'm like, geez, what's his problem? But then when I heard it back, it's very loud and very distracting. You were, you should apologize and you should feel bad. But you know what was good about that? Yeah. And which, which is another one of my revisions that I'd like to go back is that you said, oh, I'm just playing with, um, eh. Yeah. Somebody could have come in with a little something extra. Finish that sentence for you. I'm just playing with... <laughs> Sound effect. God, I just use a cardboard tube. Um, yeah. This is fun. Yes, this is good. So, Kelly, let me go back to the question before I announce the topic. How do you keep that voice out of your head of the people who influenced you as that, a young writer? That wasn't really the question. See, I don't remember. This the is... question was, how do you feel? How do you Thank feel? You. How does it Anxious. feel? Anxious. I feel a lot of anxiety. I feel like like the influences that I've had in my life are making me anxious. That is a great segue to our topic, which is the anxiety of influence and the influence of anxiety. I'm not 100% sure what either one of those means. But, you know, Harold Bloom wrote that great essay. Uh, It wasn't an essay. It was a book, I think, about – I don't really understand it. But according to Wikipedia, it's about how poets uh, uh, are so nervous about – aping or emulating the voices that they grew up emulating that they are that they're they don't, shitting themselves yeah they're trying in order to not sound like ezra pound they're they're having a huge conniption fits and yeah shitting yourself that's a great way of, of putting it <laughs> laughing at my own stupidity and so and that produces and it used the word freudian it produces a sort of freudian disconnect between the writing because you're trying to avoid copying your fathers this was written in the 70s when you could use and screwing your mother's language like that yes i don't know if that's freudian that's oedipal is it the same thing oedipal complex mm-hmm. it's a freudian thing okay i'll take your word for it i don't have a phd you do not i just that's true and i'd like you to remember that i don't even a have a terminal bit. degree it's just an ma you're a master, though. I am a master of arts, yes. One of the voices that I hear in my head all the time is a writer by the name of Stephen Dixon. I think I've mentioned him on this podcast previously. He was a big influence. I came upon his book. I just liked the way the, the cover looked. I bought it, and you know he happened to have published 15 other novels, and I consumed them as quickly as he wrote them. And he has a very sort of a style that I had not read before, very lively, and I deliberately aped that in my writing. I didn't even worry about shitting myself. I just went ahead and copied it. And then when it came time to writing my own stuff... That's why you're a fiction writer, not a poet. That's the one of the reasons. Also, lack of talent. I couldn't uh, stop hearing that voice in my head. And uh, I brought... I, I just Googled him. This is Stephen Dixon. They were in January, and he just published something in Harper's Magazine. This is... this is Oh, I'm sorry. It's 2016 of November. Here, I'll just read you a couple sentences. This is a story called In This One, published in Harper's Magazine. In this one, he'll only have one daughter and no other child. In this one, he'll be divorced and his ex-wife will live in California. In this one, he'll live in a one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan and not in the house in Baltimore. In this one, 
No one will live on the Riverside Drive or West 75th Street. In this one, he'll be a novelist who's written only five short stories in his entire writing career. In this one, he'll have finished a novel a month or so ago after working on it for more than three years. In this one, he won't use the expression, or so. In this one, he'll have a dog instead of a cat. And it goes on from there. So you can kind of see the style. He's writing a story, but he's also talking about himself. So he's, also, he's winking to his longtime readers who understand that he is the other person and that he's dividing this line between in this. So I'm just, I had not read it before, so I'm kind of like digesting it along with you. That voice is really difficult to shake once it kind of gets in your head. Yeah, I can imagine. And it's also so distinctive and so flamboyant, you might say. You know what I mean? That's just, right. I, okay, everybody to some degree or another writes like Chekhov, I suppose. You know what I mean? In the beginning, and sure. Just like normal writing. Mm-hmm. It's just like everybody talks like a newscaster in a way because that's because they they speak in such a generic way. Right. And um, so when you got somebody who's style first, maybe not style first, but certainly style is the upfront thing, then yeah, you probably don't want to sound too much like him. Although I'm pretty sure Stephen Dixon didn't invent the idea of starting every sentence with the same thing. No, no, certainly I mean, not. there's a lot of writers who have done that. Rick Moody seems to write like that a lot. Sure. And, and beyond them. And so I think everybody's copies everybody else. But That's right. And I mean, that's just that one story. But I mean, he, he the way that he kind of goes back and, and um, retraces his steps and rewrites things. And I used to get a lot of... Uh, well, one of the things I did is I would take his books and see where he had published his short stories, and then I would send my stories to that same place. And mm-hmm. I would lie in my cover letter and say, Stephen Dixon recommended I send my story to you, which was a complete lie. Wow. It was, uh, and it was a horrible thing to do, really, in hindsight, but I didn't know any better. And I, I justified it myself. Did you sneak into his house at night sometimes when he was on vacation and then walk around and then put his clothes on? and Eventually, oh, eventually... In my, in my actual life, I arranged my life that I got invited to his house, and he did once come to class with a pair of old pants and asked if anybody wanted them, and somebody else got them before I did. So it all could have happened just like that. He gave people pants? Yeah. He said, I've got an old pair of pants. Does anybody want uh, these pants? And this guy named Lawrence, who I was sitting next to in the workshop table, just he grabbed them. First. He was a little bit taller than me, and Stephen Dixon's a tall guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is good. I'm going to write a short story about this called Stephen Dixon's Pants. I haven't gotten around to it yet, but that's for you. For you listeners, you guys can write that story. story. Yeah, it'll be a good one. But, you know, that's the whole metaphor. You know, we we were in the workshop, and we we wanted to wear his pants. We wanted to be the writer. Don't you get it, man? Oh, yeah. And so, but anyway, getting back to my anecdote is that I would get a lot of these uh, letters back. And then if you have the pants, you'll shit the pants. (laughs) (laughs) They they started out with a smell that I couldn't quite tell. But I would get these letters back that said... Too, you, your style is too much like Stephen Dixon. Quirky characters, and you've got this sort of uh, style of dialogue that is exactly like Stephen Dixon. So have you considered murdering him and then cutting his skin off? And then living inside <laughs> his skin, yeah. Eh? I mean, maybe. It could be a... It's, it's not ethical. I'm not saying that. When the but, pants won't but, do. Somebody else got yeah. his pants, but I'm going to yeah. get his flesh. Yeah. You can, you can shit, shit Stephen Dixon's pants... But you can't shit his skin. Eh? See, you should have been the poet. That is good. That's beautiful. <laughs> so who are your writers? Who, whose voice do you hear when you started writing? Well, you were talking about uh, Charles Portis, and this mm-hmm. was not when I started writing. I was uh, pretty had been working on writing for many, many years when I discovered Steve, uh, Charles Portis. But Charles Portis was the writer that told me this huge kind of revolution in my thinking about writing. Mm-hmm. 
to quit being so fussy about sounding artsy and workshoppy, if I can say that. Because his sentences are just, they're so voice-driven and they're so devoted to their characters. And none of their characters are people who go to writing workshops. So they're not articulate. And yet he manages to make them articulate in spite of their own lack of of uh I guess language skills in right. a way and and so I love it. I love that he does it simply and so I consciously tried to stop sounding artful as I wrote and that happened later um I'm not sure who I copied early. I think I copied everybody, just whoever I happened to be reading at the time when I would sit down to write it would start sounding like that person at that moment whatever book you were yeah. reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, that was kind of an anxiety-producing sort of realization. You were aware of it. You're like, oh, this is Kerouac. This is... Yeah, I think sometimes I was aware of it. Yeah, like, you know, what's his name? Um, Bukowski. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just kissing a random writer. Gabriel Garcia Marquez was sort oh. of... Like, you know how he sounds? I do. It's like really lush, beautiful, but sort of winkingly lush and beautiful sentences. Right. And I love the sound of that. And uh, I think I started started writing that way with a sense of irony, like I was overdoing it. But then people in workshops would like not get that I was kind of being ironic and that I was just being kind of purple. Long sentences. Yeah. yeah. So whatever. There was a lot of experimentation early on for me and trying on different. That's interesting. Because I couldn't think of somebody less like Charles Portis. No, very different. And I think I, that's probably where it in some ways, you end up. Rev- well, I ended up reversing my my initial aesthetics once I stopped studying. Ah. Being in the workshop, and I've been in a lot of them, um, more than I needed in a lot of ways. I think at some point, and then I think you become a, your own writer when you finally get out of that environment. I think it's very important to get out of the environment. You can't just keep doing that forever, right? And then you've learned a lot of chops, but then you start hearing something closer to your own voice rather than trying to impress the teacher and the and the students in these workshops, which you do by trying to kind of ape um, other popular writers, I suppose, or, or well-thought-of writers. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, though, to how do you get away from influence, your influences. and Well, and it, just to push the, the narrative forward a little bit, now that you're a writing teacher, do you find that sometimes when you're reading student writing and you're just constantly reading one bad story after another not not even necessarily a bad story but but a student story has a feel of a student story yeah. and there could be good moments in it and it could be paced well but the characterization is ridiculous or something like that how do you keep that voice out of your head when you go down to write your own piece of fiction um i don't know that there's any conscious kind of technique to keep that voice out of my head i, I don't think that i start writing like my students because i've been reading them right. um and i'm always reading other stuff besides my students. So, you know, I don't know. No, I, I don't, I don't see that as a problem. I just, I really, I really don't. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Did I, I walked you down a dead end road and then That's I just left fault. you. There. I asked I the question, but yeah, yeah, I, well, I sometimes worry about it because like, if I'm reading a, a lot of fiction that's got, uh, you know, bad dialogue in it, I start to hear it in my own voice, and I'm very susceptible to what I'm reading. I almost have to be careful about what I'm reading. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I mean, if something is real voice-driven, 
I can start picking up on it. Yeah. Um, I think my, especially my students are not, um, I think they're not, they're not at that level yet where they're getting in, uh, into my head, into my skin mm-hmm. or into my pants. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was not exactly how I wanted to put it. Right. I was trying to reference the Stephen Dixon yeah. thing, but not. Callbacks can be difficult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So that's the, that's the anxiety of influence. But what about the influence of anxiety? What does that nervousness drive you to? Have you ever written something because you've just been so afraid of not writing or so afraid? Of, like <clears throat> before you were a published author. And on the mouths of the reading public generally, were you worried about getting that first book out there? Were you sort of driven by this idea of having a career? Let's say go back to your 30s or whatever. You know, were, were you ever making commercial choices, that sort of thing? Yeah. Yes. Yes, Dan, I was. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, okay, here's how it is. It's been a the, – the, the bar has been moving or the – the goal line has been moving constantly. And when I was first went to college and I liked writing short stories and I didn't know like what being an author was and I didn't have enough sense of, I guess, confidence, I suppose, to think that I could really be an author in any real way or how authors became authors. Yeah. But then eventually I got into the college and I thought, you know what, if I could get in one, one story in one magazine before I'm dead, mm-hmm. it'll be worth it. It'll be like, that's my goal. Right. And then I got a story. I'm like, this is a shitty journal. Like, right. if I only could get a story in a better place. And then, you know what I mean? And so then, the bar's moving in the right direction, <clears throat> though. It's moving towards bigger and better publications. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's also moving toward dissatisfaction and eventual death. But, I mean, oh. the bar is always moving toward that. But, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If There's never going to be, I, I do sense there's never going to be a place where I'm like, I'm good, you know, that's, yeah. and, but that's okay. I feel like that's all right to have that. That's the struggle of being alive is, it's, is not being comfortable and not saying, Hey, I've done it all. Now I can just sit back and. Well, for me, I feel like the bar is going in the opposite direction because when I was in my thirties, I thought I'll have about five or six books. I'll have uh, short story collections. I'll, uh, you know, I'll be, I'll be invited to many universities and address large audiences I've had those fantasies too. And then I, you know. right. And then it, you roll it back and you're like, well, maybe I'll only have one collection of short stories, but you know what? I'm happy. I've got my bicycles. I've got my children in that order. I've got my pets. Uh, everything is, uh, mm-hmm. everything's fine. You've got your cows. I do have my cows. They're not pets, are they? No, they're meat. Yeah. They're meat, my friend. But you like them. Some not them. just as meat. Some of them. They're pretty to look at. You, you take pictures of them, put I them do. on Instagram. Yeah, our fan, you know, our listeners of Personal Rejection Letters should go to our Instagram account right now, which I'm going to get this afternoon, and take a look at those pictures of cows. Cows with books. Is that what the thing? You know, it's going to be cows with rejection letters. I have saved all my rejection letters. Have you saved yours? Back when you got them on print? I've saved all mine. I've got mine. And I've gotten rid of all my rejection letters, and I have um, deleted all of various emails to former lovers that I've like, oh, I that, don't have any, I've any letter emails or former <laughs> no lovers. lovers. Yeah. <laughs> well, by lovers, I just meant girlfriends. Um, I mean, okay. you know, there's a distinction, right? Sure. I guess. And, uh, <laughs> no, I just, there's probably all kinds of interesting stuff, but it's all humiliating essentially like, you know, kind of groveling emails and yeah. whatever. And so I just like 
as soon as the relationship is over, it deleted it all. And I thought later as a writer, this would be probably be good, good material had I kept it. Right. But I'm glad I deleted it. Or if you I, ever need to. I just want to move on, man. You might, you might need to contact an ex-girlfriend for an uh, essay or something <laughs> like that. Then it'd be easier to find her or prove what well, you have to say. Well, no, I don't. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's also a callback, but it's a call ahead in a weird way. It's a call ahead into the future, future, future. Um, oh, I had a note here. Did I answer your question? Did I don't you remember ask what it a is. question? And I did I answer it? It was something about anxiety of mm-hmm. wanting to get famous and all that. Right. And, and then you're not famous and then But you find other things in your life to be uh I never wanted to be famous. So it's that's worked out really well for me. But I did but, want to have more publications. Yeah, I guess what he, I, I, I've I've talked about being famous and other people have like looked at me like I'm crazy and and they're confusing or at least I'm not being clear about the difference between fame right. as I'm imagining it and celebrity. I'm not I've never like wanted to be mobbed or recognized when I leave my house or go to the a restaurant or something like that. But I just mean being acknowledged, like having readers within your field. Yeah. Yeah. For like sure. having okay. like right. n- more than a couple hundred readers and right. like, and, and actually maybe even getting some fan notes now and then. So yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. You know what? I think we've covered it. What did, what about you? Oh, you did say what you I were, talked about the, that you were, you're, the did. bar was going the other way and yeah, the bar I was think going that, one way for me and for you it was going going lower and for me it's going higher. I have this I have this and I, then it meets in the middle. <laughs> right. And hopefully and you make a podcast yeah. together. That's good. Um yeah, I mean I I have a I've been sitting on a manuscript that I've been working on for four or five years and as I was writing it, I kept thinking to myself, nobody will ever publish this and that's okay because all I want to do is just finish it and have that experience of know what it's like to be in charge of these characters for this long and feel what it's like to be sitting on something for four years or five years or whatever and be working on it and see what comes out the other end. And I have, and you know, back to the old shitting thing, I have now seen what comes out the other end. (laughs) And the idea that nobody's going to publish it uh, is a little bit heartbreaking. I mean, that's the, the jury's still out on it and I'm still working on it. But um, at some point you have to fall back on the idea that the work as corny as it sounds, that the work is what it's all about and not the publication stuff. That's up to other people. It's a little bit out of your control. But the work's not out of your control. I've heard a lot of really very, very successful writers say that it's just about the work, so it must be. Right. Those successful writers know exactly <laughs> yep. what it's like yep. to struggle. Yeah, and not have a, a chance of publishing the thing that you're putting years and years into. Yeah, you mentioned um, in the in another podcast that we did, you mentioned the Mark Marin podcast with Bruce Springsteen. I was thinking about that. He was, he was talking I, – I, I listened to it, and he was talking about how uh, – you know, he was able to find happiness after all, you know, after all his success and with all his cars and all his guitars wow. and all his houses and being a famous rock star. That's why he's the boss. He worked hard, but somehow he managed to eke out a little bit of happiness for himself. And I thought, man, if yeah. Bruce Springsteen can somehow figure out a way to be happy, yeah. what, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't all of us? Yeah, you indeed. Know? Yeah. All right. Well, you can tell by that sound effect, it's time to move on to our final segment where we talk about, hey, Kelly, what are you working on? What are you doing? What are you teaching? What are you reading? What are you thinking about at this exact second? At this second, I am... You're thinking about lunch, I can tell. I am getting kind of hungry. Uh, I I don't know. What's going on? (laughs) What's going on in my life? Yeah. Um, How about reading? Because I didn't cover the last podcast we did a minute ago. 
I didn't talk about what I was reading, so I was saving it for this. Now, it's all coming together now. You remember the last podcast we did, but it wasn't the last one, but I was talking at one point about a magazine where you get one episode per month, yes. one issue per month, and it's one story. Right. It's like that. It, there's a short story magazine called One Story. Correct. And this is called True Story, and it's put out by um, uh, Creative Nonfiction, that magazine. So I subscribed to a year of it, and um, the first one I really praised, Mm -hmm. and the second one I just really, really didn't like. Mm -hmm. And it is called A Trip to the Zoo. Okay. And it is about a guy, it's written by, I don't know the guy's name, but he is the founder of the Normal School. Oh, I know. Which is a fine publication, and one that I would, I don't want to burn this bridge, but I didn't like this this piece. Yeah. Um, and it is about a guy who jumped into the tiger pen in the Brooklyn Zoo and more, and you know, that's a thing people do, right? Right. They jump into wild animal and they, and this guy got mauled and they scared the tiger off and he ended up in a mental institution. And the writer is trying to make a, this long essay about it. And he really gets, a, why am I so obsessed with this? And blah, blah, blah. And he's trying to find mm-hmm. out information. And he's like, everybody's treating him like he's the paparazzi and they won't give him any information. He's like, no, but I'm not like them. I'm not, I don't want to. And he's like really protesting that his, yeah. his interest in it is much deeper. And by the end of it, I thought, no, man, I don't think your interest in it was really that deep. You were trying to fool me and you're trying to fool yourself by trying to make it into a lot more than it was, but you thought it was just, fascinating or right. that this guy got munched by a tiger and the guy was mentally ill. That's why he's in a mental institution right now. And you can't interview him because right. <laughs> he's locked up and he's not, and he tried to make the guy into a hero. He's, and he's talking about liminal spaces between savage yeah. and cultivate and civilized and life and death. It's like that kind of writing. Right. Poetry th- sort of stuff. And I just thought, nah, you, I think you probably fooled yourself, but you didn't fool me. And so I thought it was crappy. So there it is. There goes your invitation to uh, yeah, I'm not do gonna, a commencement address at the new school. I'm not the normal school. Normal school. I'm oh, not, it's not the new school. It's called the normal school. Normal school is that's in Boulder. Where's normal? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. But new this guy is teaches at Fresno State. Okay. But that doesn't mean anything. Okay. Like the normal school could be anywhere. We got to ask your buddy, um, our buddy. Joe Bonomo, yeah. who publishes in normal school all the time. Does the fact right. that we know, do you think that'll hurt his chances to publish in the future? That He's he, already got a longstanding gig with them. I think he's safe. So you don't think they're going to hear this and think, you know, we're going to can't, that, 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 you like those guys? And he'll, and he'll be in that position of he'll either He'll have sell, to turn us down, yeah. Which I don't mind if he does. No, absolutely. Throw us under the bus. That's what we're here for. I'll be a little hurt. The influence of this podcast, though, should not be undersold. I think the normal school, no, you're on notice. Yeah. No, I think they should do better. Yeah. His essays are great that they publish, he publishes. For oh, them. yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that. Th- I'm not trying to cast disparaging remarks upon everybody who right. has any connection with the normal school at all. Indeed. We should just say that as a. No. In fact. Good. It's the finest publication in the world, I think. So it's not a school? It's just a publication? Not really sure about this that. This whole time when you told the story, I was thinking new school out of New York. That's why I made that commencement mm. address joke. Uh, so I'd like to just apologize to so you. You don't even oh, know wait. what the normal school is. I've got the revision for next week. Hold on. I'll okay. this. Yeah, I'll do the research. Yeah, we'll talk about this next week. All right. What about you? What are you writing, reading, teaching? I am uh, teaching a creative writing, creative writing too, the second 
half of the workshop. I'm looking mm. forward to that. We just started it. It's terrific. Nice bunch of kids. This you time. haven't. You're lying, right? Yes. <laughs> you devil. I'm going to though next week, yeah. but I'm trying to not say the same thing. We, you know, we've recorded a few of these, you know, in a small, short time period. So I'm trying not to say. I'm still yeah. reading the same book, basically. Yeah. The Are you Bell. teaching at the normal school? Is that right? It's not a real school, Kelly. That was a dumb thing. Normal? Do you know that normal, oh, normal school is? Do you know what a normal school is? It's, it's a, a teaching school, right? Yeah, yeah, for ladies. And actually, NIU used to be a normal school. Yeah, it used to be. Yeah, Western Michigan University used to be a normal school, right? And normal in normal Illinois used to be a normal school. No, I think so. Too cute. Too cute. I think that's how it's got its no. name. I. Oh, really? I believe so. Makes sense. Normal. Yeah. I think that's that's not a very good marketing name for a kind of school. Normal. Do you want to go to the normal school? Oh, yeah. Back in the day, though, there might have been more of a, you know, that might you have had to be more normal? of an appeal to be normal. Yeah. Yeah. That was before Apple, think outside the box. And, uh, you know, that was before weird is celebrated as it is now. The old school. This is good stuff. Kelly Daniels, this is the fastest half hour, 40 minutes. I'm hungry. That are I we, spend every week. Are we going to yeah. go get some lunch now? We're going to go get some lunch at a brewery, right? Um, I drove down here. I'm gonna... Sneaky Pete's. All right. Let's do it. It's like place. Thanks for listening. Thank you, uh, Sub Atlantic, for the music. Thank you, Gabe Tucker, for the engineering. Anyway, well done. See you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Radio. This program is produced by Gabe Tucker with funding from the Augustana College English Department and theme music by Sub Atlantic. You can reach us on Facebook at Personal Rejection Letter. See you next time.